Hey, what's up? It's Mr. Bill. The track you're listening to right now is the result of a 35-hour tutorial series where I recorded the process of making this song from start to finish and explained myself along the way. If you're interested in learning how to make music or sharpening your craft, go to mrbillstunes.com and check it out. Enjoy the tune. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. not in irl though <laughs> i know that is true <laughs> all right sick well yeah thanks for coming on the podcast i'm glad that we're finally able to make it happen sorry to hear last time you had food poisoning what happened uh, i i had gotten back from somewhere at this point i don't remember but uh i got home super late at night and i just like could not get out of bed the next day so I don't know what I ate, just being on the road, eating random stuff. You know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I luckily have not been sick in a long time. And I don't know why, like, I probably should get sick way more often than I do. Or maybe I'm just, like, kind of always sick. And so I just, like, kind of <laughs> just am used to feeling shitty or something. I don't really yeah. know. You just live there? <laughs> yeah, potentially. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, uh, maybe tell people a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do and uh what it is you're trying to do yeah uh i'm maddie o'neill for people that don't know me um i'm a producer dj and yeah i'm currently on tour right now and i just put out a new ep called mind over matter last month um it's a four track ep and yeah, I'm just coming off of a big festival summer and I'm finally doing my own like big headline tour. Um, well, like the longest one I've ever done. Um, so I'm kind of in the midst of that right now. Um, yeah, while trying to continue to work on music and roll it into next year. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough to find the balance, I think, between writing music and playing shows because obviously you need to do both from right. a career perspective but also just from like a creative perspective and, and trying to you know, feed your create the creative part of you. Um, I feel like if I just play shows too often, then I start to get burnt out. But if I just write music too often, I start to get bored of it. It's like there's this balance of showing it to people and then going back and like, reflecting on how they responded to it and like adjusting things and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, how do you go about like finding that balance or do you think that you're kind of too far one way or the other right now? Um, I'm going to hit a hundred shows this year. So I'm definitely, like you've already hit a hundred or, or uh, by the end of the year, you will have hit a hundred. By the end of the year, I'm going to hit a hundred shows. So it's definitely been a tour heavy year. I'm usually probably at like, more like 70. Um, so that's crazy. I, that's two every weekend. I know. Uh, so so have, you, got, have you had a weekend off this year? Um, a couple. <laughs> oh, that's wild. Okay, so you've done some like weekday shows as well then? Yeah. Yeah. Some, it, like, again, it's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm doing Vegas and then two shows in Montana for Halloween. So... Yeah, and I'm, I'm counting, like, I did five sets at Burning Man. I'm counting that, like, all of the okay. sets. Well, that's kind of one show. But... Yeah, I know. But but I was there for, like, five days and, you know. True. But. Uh, Maybe it counts as two then. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, but, yeah, I'm definitely tour heavy right now, and I'm starting to feel the going a little crazy that I haven't had studio time. Um, but I have, like, a bunch of drafts and projects collabs that i've started with other people i think that's been keeping me accountable to write when i'm on the road is like if i'm starting things with other people i know that they're relying on me too you know mm -hmm. so i like yeah. self-accountable by 
starting projects with other people or, you know, giving myself deadlines because nobody's going to do that for you. You know, you got to create your own timeline. Totally. I mean, I think shows are a pretty solid deadline. Mm -hmm. Usually I find they are like if I have a show coming up, I'm like in the studio grinding a little harder because I'm like, shit, I got to have stuff like ready to play. And I found through uh, COVID, um, like not having that deadline definitely made me take my time a lot more. Yeah, uh, which was also kind of nice for a change, but yeah, totally. I, literally, right before the pandemic, I was like super burnt out on touring and like felt like I was just kind of like going through the motions of you know, like playing a show and doing the things that I was supposed to do, and I wasn't like feeding myself creatively, it was just like you know, just shows, and I and I didn't have a, a good routine or a balance, so I think that the pandemic kind of like saved me in terms of giving me a moment to like regroup and figure out what my vision was and like how to adjust my schedule so that I could actually feel like I was covering all the bases and including my my health and my balance of home life and being on the road so definitely feel like yeah. I have a little bit more under control than I used to <laughs> totally it's very easy to lose balance when you're traveling a lot and you're on the road what is your um your routine like on the road um, I haven't quite figured out how to like, I, so I do yoga like every day when I'm home and that is kind of like my saving grace in terms of mental and physical, you know, maintenance. So I haven't quite figured out how to incorporate that on the road, but I do eat really healthy and, um, have healthy things on my, on my rider, like ginger shots and stuff like that. So I can maintain some sort of you know, baseline of health when I'm on the road. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to integrate more, you know, like working on music in the green room if I'm sitting around for like four hours or something, you know. Mm. So try, trying to figure that all out right now. But lately there hasn't been a ton of time. It's like I'm flying out super in the morning, super early in the morning, and my routing hasn't been the greatest in terms of like, because I'm doing festivals and my own shows and some pretty lights after parties all this fall. So I'm kind of like jumping around a little bit more than I would like to be, <laughs> but it's all worth it. And they're great shows. It's just, you know, it's a lot of long travel days where I don't have a lot of time for other things. Mm. Yeah, yeah, your rider sounds a lot healthier than mine. The only thing I get on my rider is Lego. Oh, I yeah. Like yeah, so I like um, like went fully sober in like uh, actually about a year ago, like a year ago, two days ago. So a year and two days ago. Oh my god! And um, <clears throat> thanks. Yeah. So now I don't ask for any alcohol or anything, um, or any snacks really, or any. I mean, there there's a couple of snacks and like Lacroix is on my rider, I guess, like just so I have some like sparkling water and shit because I really like nice. sparkling water. Yeah. But I. Uh, because I stopped asking for like everything else and I don't spend much time at the shows because I don't want to be around that environment too much. Right. Uh, I just ask for Lego. <laughs> and nice. the whole, like, sometimes, just yeah, like, like, yeah, yeah, three, 350 piece minimum Lego set. Nice. And then <laughs> awesome. if I'm, if I am spending some time in the green room, I'll like just build Lego and it's the most fucking fun thing to do. Like, I, I don't know, like when the last time you build a Lego set is, but it's, it's really fun. Yeah. Do you, you know um, Alicia, right? Yeah, yeah. I know her really well. She works for Lego now, right? She works for Lego, yeah. I've been wanting to like, I don't know if what she's done that's live. I need to catch up with her. But yeah, she's doing a lot of like the sound effects and just runs the sound department basically. So yeah. Yeah, it's such a crazy job. I don't even really understand why they need sound designers because as far as, I don't even know if Lego sets have like speakers and shit on them. I've never seen one, but I think they, they do like these little animations on the, their Instagram and, and those yeah. need some sound design and stuff. But the ones that I have seen that she's done have been really cool. Yeah, I think, I think there's an app that you can like fly over whatever you build um, and it'll turn into like this like AI Lego world. Oh wow! So that's, that's where the the sounds come into play too. Is like it you can like interact with it with your iPad kind of thing. That's what she told me. 
Yeah, that shit is fucking cool, man. Lego has advanced so much since my day. Back in the day, I feel like when I got into Lego when I was like, I don't know, 10 or something, maybe even earlier than that, there was like only those big bricks and that's it. Now there's like little machine parts that like hook up to like a rotor and like spin another thing through like a drive shaft and stuff. It's crazy like how technical they get these days. Yeah, you can build more than just a house. <laughs> yeah, you can build pretty much literally anything. Yeah. Actually, my, my favorite type of YouTube channel lately has been machining YouTube channels. Not so much with plastics like Lego, but more with metals. Uh, do you ever watch shit on YouTube? Is that like a thing I you do, do yeah. Well, so when I was a kid, I think my, my parents thought I was going to be an engineer because I would love like the how how it works. Or well, I guess you're an engineer of audio. Yeah, totally. Um, I forget whether it was like a series. It was like how stuff works, and it would like break down, you know, how like machines or like whatever worked, you know. And I would like just be fascinated by like breaking, like reverse engineering something, or like seeing how it was made, kind of thing. Which is kind of what you're talking about, right? But, yeah. Yeah. The latest one I've been watching is this um channel called Inheritance. Uh, inheritance machining i think it's called or inheritance something anyway he's like a metal machinist and he makes these like crazy tiny little things and like will make all of the screws himself and shit from like little bars of like metal and like lathe them all and like thread them all and stuff and it's like insane how small the tolerances are for that shit so if you break an inch down into ten thousand parts he like has to get shit within like one ten thousandth of an inch like uh play and shit in between like these connections the stuff that he makes so he has these like crazy devices for like measuring just the smallest amount of distance between things and stuff it's crazy oh my god yeah that shit is wild <laughs> yeah so um you said you just finished uh an ep and is it out yeah i put it out um september 19th so I think it's been out for almost a month. Um, it's four track EP, um, couple collabs on it. Worked with two vocalists, and um, yeah, it was kind of more of a EP geared towards a live scenario. I kind of started it before festival season, picturing myself playing all these shows and wanting to make something that I could see myself playing in that environment, which. I, I try to not only think like that because I hate gearing everything that I make to a live scenario. You know, I just want to like make what I make, you know, whatever comes out in that moment. Mm. Um, but this was, that was kind of like the preface for that EP too, is I, I wanted to put myself back in that scenario after I just came off of the 10 track album that I put out last fall. Um, that was just kind of like, you know, some of those songs will never, ever see a stage. It was just kind of like stream of consciousness, covering a lot of bases. So it was fun to like do that record and then kind of put myself in a more of like a dance mentality when I started that record too. And when you're playing live, are you playing off Ableton or are you using CDJs or how, how are you playing? Um, I still play mostly in Ableton. So like my, my Maddie sets, which is what I normally do. Um, I'm using Ableton and an MPD and an SPDS. So I kind of choose things that I want to play live when I'm done with the songs, like the masters, and I'll export like a vocal stem so I can chop it out into my, in my drum pads in some way, shape or form, or, you know, export percussion and play it on the SPDS. Mm. So it's more fun to play with Ableton still when I'm doing my own music. Um, but I've been playing a lot of DJ sets, doing mad, I call it madhouse when I'm doing my house sets. Mm, um, nice. So it's been really fun. That's kind of like a newer thing is doing sets on CDJs. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun just having the outlet to do both. Because um, I definitely would consider myself a producer first and then a DJ, but I've really dove into playing dj sets especially over the pandemic when i was doing a lot of live streams i was like my catalog is only so big you know i started experimenting with different things 
because if I'm playing to the same audience over and over again, I didn't want it to get boring, you know? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like if you're playing stuff live like that, um, you kind of have to uh, write the music in that live way as well. Like I've so yeah. often tried to take tracks of mine that I wrote just with like a mouse and a keyboard and like produced every edit and like made everything perfect. And then I'm like, all right, cool. Now I'm going to like figure out a way to play it live and it just doesn't work. I feel like right. the coolest <laughs> thing that you can do is like put a beat repeat on your drum stem or something like that and just every right. now and then go and it's like they're kind of lame. Totally. So, um, do you use yeah. live or do you use... I, I use CDJs because I basically got to a point where I was like, everything I'm doing to my tracks uh, to make them live is just kind of making them worse. And it's like yeah. degrading the quality of the track. Yeah, uh, it's, like it's even stuff. just to get it into a position to play it live, you have to stem it. And then it's not the master anymore. It's not It's not equal to the stereo master that you spent like six weeks like doing your brain on. Right. And I literally... So, I used to do like play like five or six stems. This was like the beginning, and then I was like, first of all, I'm not organized enough to like keep track of all of this. And then, like you're saying, you're degrading the quality at a certain point. So then I figured out that I could just do export the master without like one stem, you know, right. whatever that is, and I'll export that with the master chain on it. So. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like one the master with with one thing removed, which is a little bit better. But yeah, I'm definitely experimenting with a lot of stuff right now because I'm enjoying playing on CDJs. But I also love those little moments where I can play this thing differently or interact with the song a little bit more. So mm. I don't know. yeah, I feel like I've come to the conclusion that the only way to do live electronic music is to essentially build a system. Like a, like a project file or something with a bunch of instruments in it that you can play. And then you have to like write the music using that system. And then once you've like written the track, you basically just have to like render it and export it like that and be like, all right, that's the track. And then when you go to play it live, you can just use the system to replay the track again. Right. But it also scares me those scenarios because it's like if you used a certain plugin, you know, you're, you're going to have all the shit running unless you, you know, I don't know. Yeah, the the system creating for live sets is like a whole other art and science in itself. There's a few people who do this for a living, like Laura Escuday and oh yeah, um, KJ Sorka does it for Pendulum. Oh wow! And yeah, it's crazy looking. At, like you have to get it the session to be at a point that's so light that you can run it at sixty two. Oh sorry, thirty two buffer size. Like normal buffer size when you're producing oh, is like a thousand and twenty-four or whatever. So he yeah. tries to run it all at thirty-two and like make it so lightweight that you can run it like that without getting like dropouts and glitches and stuff. And what the fuck? Yeah, it's a some massive head fuck trying to figure that out. So yeah, I, I kind of just gave up on that shit and was like, <laughs> really, what I enjoy doing is making beats and I like making them as high quality as possible and right. then just go play them to people. And the solution that I've found for making it more of a performance is just DJing shit like way faster. <laughs> so like right. instead of playing one track out and letting it play for the duration of the track, like three minutes or whatever, I'll just mix like every 40 seconds or something. So, it, yeah. and I, I feel like in a way that kind of like creates just one long new tune that with a lot of yeah. different like elements overlapping that didn't overlap before and stuff like that so like every 40 seconds is like something novel and then there's like drops that people know basically and nice. some unreleased stuff so i feel like that's the balance that i found myself in yeah like the the better i'm getting at dj that's that's like where my brain is going um i was like i guess like when i started out i felt like i had something to prove so much that i was like i'm only gonna play my own music you know, and I'm glad that I'm over that mentality at this point. Um, I feel like I've proved myself. People know that I make music. <laughs> you know, right. I can play other things. Like I'm a producer and DJ. Um, yeah, I feel like uh, if you just play your own music too, it like gets a little bit gray. Like there's no contrast between stuff. Uh, right. I feel like um, like if all the engineering sounds the same and like every 
you know, bass patch is the same and every, like all of your drums are very similar sounding and, and all of your writing is very similar sounding. It's like nothing becomes impactful after like 20 minutes of just playing stuff like that. It's like right. everything just becomes sort like of, you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a few people I think who are like exempt from this and I still can't figure out why it is that their sets are like this. Like um, Tipper is an example. He pretty much just plays his own stuff, but like it doesn't get boring somehow. Right. Um, G. Jones as well pretty much just plays his own stuff and or Dead Mouse. Like these people yeah. somehow are able to just play their own shit and it doesn't get boring. Um yeah. but for the most part I feel like at least when I've ever played a whole set of just my own stuff it feels a little bit like it's just getting grey and boring towards the end with no contrast. So I like to play like Yeah. Something that's really high quality too, you know. Sorry, what was that? So do you want to surprise yourself too or like have something exciting in the mix where you're just like, oh shit, like that's new, you know? Yeah, I, I like to play stuff that's like extremely high quality next to stuff that's extremely low quality or stuff that's like extremely <laughs> heavy next to stuff that's like not and all this yeah. stuff. And I, I feel like it just keeps stuff more exciting to just mash everything into one because then, yeah, people will never expect what's coming and it's yeah. like every new part is like refreshing rather than just like all right here we go again doing the same thing yeah for sure <laughs> i'm i'm very glad that i got over that mentality years ago because i was just like wait a second i don't i was playing with all other ableton djs and i think once i kind of started playing with you know cdj djs it definitely opened my brain and once i bought some and have them at my house and yeah even just getting better at playing on that type of equipment has changed my mentality on how I produce or how I look at like a live scenario, which mm. is, which is fun. Nice. So where is your next show and where was your previous show? Um, I just got home last night from a weekend in Chicago with the pretty lights crew. Cool. So I did an after party on Thursday and then I did the first ever Madhouse brunch on Saturday. So I did like a DJ set on Saturday and there was mimosas and breakfast burritos and stuff. Um, and then I went to all three nights of Pretty Lights at uh, the Salt Shed. So yeah. Can you, can you explain Pretty Lights to me? Like I, I know who he is and I kind of know his music and, and stuff, but like I feel like you probably know more about it. Like. What a, what is like the the main appeal and like what is it that he does that people love so much? Um, I mean, he was definitely one of the early people that I looked up to when I started producing because he was like this bridge between like this hip hop influence of like the art of sampling and the way that he was doing it and merged it with you know electronic sounds um because you know listening to like shadow and rjd2 and like all of these like really vinyl hip-hop based producers but he kind of like took it to another level for me um yeah i mean what he's doing right now is kind of like the 2.0 version of pretty lights so he has like a full band with him um chris carnes who's like a dmc world champion yeah he's insane yeah, Alvin Ford, who plays with Dumpster Funk and, like, so many people. He's, like, one of the best drummers in the world. Um, then Michael Menner's back in the band. He's playing guitar and keys. And then Borum Lee, who has, like, this whole keyboard synthesizer, synthesizer station. So, like, they're, like, right now, this version of Pretty Lights is they're playing songs and then they're, like, breaking them apart and jamming on them for, like, 10 minutes at a time. Um, and Derek's got his own like, whole like modular synth behind him. So it's pretty wild. Like they're, they're really pushing the limits of, you know, I mean, I guess they are kind of an electronic jam band at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I saw like a bunch of people tagged me in a post a few weeks ago of him playing uh, my collab with player Dave and oh, yeah, I, I saw that there was a drummer and he was doing like some sampling stuff over it and I was like wondering is that kind of like is the whole set like that like he picks a bunch of parts of tracks that he likes and then kind of like samples over them and plays instruments over them and stuff like that yeah I mean like a lot of this, the, that, those type of scenarios will be like they'll start with an original song and then like more it's almost like they're like 
DJing into the next song, but with a live band. Like, so that your song might have been a, a part of a jam from an original Pretty Light song. If it, they were in the same key and they're like, oh, these would be a cool, a cool like side segment that we could jam on for a little bit and then come back. You know what I mean? Mm. Is uh, it, um, would you say like comparable to something like Iodo or is it pretty different? Uh, yeah, I would say for sure. Um, as far as I, I haven't gotten like the full breakdown from the band on like all the details because I'm curious. I keep being like, you have to show me what's going on because this is wild. Yeah, it looked like there was a lot happening in the stuff I got tagged in. Yeah, so so Derek's in the middle and he has like, he's control in control of like mixing the whole band, so he can so like. So he got like CDJs or like a computer or something. Uh no, I think he's got like he has like a tractor controller and then he has like literally like the board, so it. Everything is going to the sound guy and then back to Derek. Oh, yeah, so it's like Derek, a mixing desk. Yeah, so Derek can, like, oh, wow. dub things out or, like, cut things oh. out and bring other things in, and he's, like, controlling the whole situation. So, like, they all have mics that, where they're talking to each other, and if somebody's really vibing on something, like, maybe they'll cut out three of the channels and, like, Carnes will just go off and do his thing. So a lot of it is, like, very much improv, you know? Which yeah, is that's really, awesome. It's always really impressive to me when people figure out a way to solve that problem. Yeah. It's such a difficult problem to solve, and I've tried so many times. I feel like if you have, like, unlimited money, it's a lot easier to solve, but, like, the amount of gear that you need <laughs> just to do that shit is crazy. Like, this... Yeah, it's yeah. wild. Yeah, I mean, and everyone in the band is, like, you know, savant musicians. Yeah, so, like, for real. There's, there's less... They're taking less risks because... You know, they just trust everyone. They're like, whatever Borum's going to do is going to be the coolest thing ever right now. <laughs> you know, right. or Karin's just like, go off. So it's, yeah. it's, I think that the fan base is right now in this version is is very engaged because they're live streaming everything, too. And there's not, there's not a whole lot of like, that's the same thing that I heard because they're just they don't know what they're going to do. You know, right. Yeah, it's pretty open ended. Yeah, so that's why they have such a following that like people will go on tour with Pretty Lights and see every single night, and they won't get bored because there's so much. They're taking, they're being so vulnerable and taking such risks in the fact that like they might not even know what they're gonna do that night. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, really do you know Derek personally, or? Yeah. He did. He went oh. through like a big drug thing too, right? Like he took a massive break. I heard some rumors, but I don't really know much about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak too much on that because I don't, I don't think it's appropriate for me to interject. But uh, totally, he he definitely took a like a six year break, um, and he just came back from it, and he's like sober and happy and healthy, and I've never seen him so like focused and engaged. Um, just like the way that he like looks at you. And like has conversations with people. He's just like so. You just like see his gears turning, and he's just so inspired and like lit up right now, which is really cool to see. Mm. Uh, and I think just like anyone, he was burnt out on on touring, and he needed to take a step back and work on himself and get healthy and figured out what 2.0 looks like for him. You know, he wanted to be inspired and not just like going through the motions. And mm. They didn't even need to come back that hard, but everyone was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Must have been doing something over the last six years. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what his story is, but I definitely know about addiction. And I pretty much, like, over the last few years, uh, I didn't necessarily take a break. I was still, like, doing shows and stuff like that, but I was, like, operating at, like, fucking 40% efficiency. It was, like, yeah. yeah, I was addicted to ketamine for, like, the last probably three years or... Well, last three years after the year just been and yeah one thing i i realized through being in i guess for lack of a better term like that scene the ketamine scene is how many fucking people are addicted to ketamine like producers as yeah. well it's like a lot of people who i would not think at all would do that shit are like doing it every day and yeah, it's kind of wild how how much that's yeah. completely infiltrated the scene i don't know if it still is because i haven't been doing it for like the last year but I assume it probably still is. It's uh, it's definitely alive and well. <laughs> and I, yeah, don't, sure. I don't, I don't necessarily like what 
the ketamine culture has done for like audiences too. People are just like, if you go to like a festival that you can tell people are doing a ton of ketamine, like people bring their blow up couches and they just like sit down and they're not like engaged as an audience member. And like, that's okay (laughs) for like a certain types of music, I guess. But like from a performer standpoint, like it's kind of like, you know, you need that kind of extra version from people to know whether or not they're enjoying it. Right. This is why I don't like playing IDM sets because people won't dance to it. They'll just kind of like enjoy it in their head. And I'll be playing and be like, everyone's hating this and not enjoying it. And then after they'll come to me and be like, dude, that was the sickest shit I've ever seen. But it's like without them having that like physical uh, exertion of like actually dancing and stuff, you really have no sense as to whether or not something someone is enjoying something in their head. Right. Totally. And that that's part of it. It's like, it, it, if you're at least standing up, I know that you're like <laughs> engaged, you know what I mean? Like, but I think a lot of that, um, I don't know. I've talked to like a lot of other performers and producers about it and how they feel about it. And it was kind of the same thing. It was just like, you know, it's like night right now. This is like when everyone should have like the most energy, <laughs> you know, and mm. it was like, you just like keep trying to get people engaged and you're like i don't know if they're into it or not like or do they just want to go to sleep (laughs) so i don't know yeah also the blow up couches and shit are kind of annoying if you're walking through a dance floor it's like walking through a dance floor these days is like walking through a minefield of like people on the ground that you're almost stepping on and shit yeah it's like sorry i gotta go through somebody's living room real quick like excuse me (laughs) what was your favorite festival you played this year um, Bonnaroo. Um, I had get, heard really, really amazing things about that festival for years and definitely lived up to the hype. Um, I had a really awesome set. I think I played, played right after Notlo and then before who was after me. I don't know, but it was, it was epic. Like the crowd was really awesome. I've played for a lot of really new fans this summer too, which I think has like mm-hmm. helped me grow my fan base a lot. Um, and I think, yeah, that was a big one where I could tell that people were discovering me for the first time too. And, you know, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, those festivals are awesome. I have never played that one, but I've heard that it's really good. I know Tipper has played it a couple of years ago. I saw his name on it and... Yeah. I've seen a bunch of other people play it. That's like a massive festival, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's one of those crossover ones where it's like, there's pop star celebrities there, but there's also underground bass music. Like a Midwest Coachella. Yeah, totally. That's exactly what it is. Have you played Coachella? I just did this year. Oh, wow. How was it? It was great. I played the Doolab stage. Um... It was like a five o'clock set or something. So it was right before all the like super massive stages started really firing. So yeah, it was, that was a similar scenario where you're just like, it's just a wild thing to experience where you're just like, wow, I'm, I'm playing a festival that like Kendrick Lamar is also playing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, Um, yeah that that festival seems wild too i've never been i've heard mixed reports some and i feel like the reports i've heard that are negative are mostly just from like hipsters who were like it used to be cool yeah but i'm sure it's still crazy i thought it was gonna be more hipster like uh influencer like the internet makes it look like you like you go there and it's just a bunch of models walking around like taking selfies and Mm. like it was way more chill than that and i was just stoked that there is a stage that is representing underground electronic music at a a festival like that. You know, like I think the Doolab is doing a good job of holding back that space and giving people an opportunity to be in that environment, which is cool. Mm. Yeah, what you see on the internet and what you see in real life is so fucking disconnected. <laughs> it's like 
even from like performance perspectives, like you look at someone's Instagram and it'll just be like shot after shot of them like with a mic going like this in front of a crowd and there's just like everyone's got their hands up like this and you're like, whoa, that looked crazy. But like that was just one second of a fucking 60 minute set, you know, it's right. like. And you're literally paying someone to get those moments in your Yeah, set. right. Exactly. <laughs> Specifically, so you can sensationalize them to make yourself look really cool on the internet. It's kind of yeah. a crazy concept. Yeah, it's getting a little crazy. <laughs> we are there. I remember like years ago just being like, oh my God, like we're going to live in a world that's going to look like this. And I'm like, oh, we're there. We're, we're fully there. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of wild. Have you uh, been fucking around with AI much? I haven't, and I'm I'm so curious because I know that there's so much technology that you can use in a good way, you know, like musically or you know from a production standpoint. Um, I did. This is really funny. I did. I was looking for a female rapper for a song that I was working on, so I try. I used an AI software. I think it's called like something Duck. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I do know what you're talking about. Full AI software. So I tried to turn, I tried to rap, and I tried to turn myself into Nicki Minaj. So Uber like, Duck. Sample Uber Duck. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to turn myself into Nicki Minaj to sample it on my song, and it didn't work out very well. <laughs> yeah. So that is um, what's called a style transfer, and that one runs on this uh, software or this program called Sovitz SVC. And there's a real-time version of that, actually, that you can install. It's for, it's free on GitHub, and you have to, like, do some, run some scripts and shit. But if you can get it installed, you can actually, like, in real-time, just talk into a mic, and it will style transfer it into, like, Kendrick Lamar or whoever. What? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. <clears throat> there's some wild shit out there now. The one I've been the most interested with is called Dance Diffusion, and you can point it towards a folder of samples, and you can say, here's all the stuff that I want you to like train on. And then it will like generate a model after it's trained for a while or it generates them at periodic checkpoints. And then once it gets to a point where you're like, all right, that's sounding pretty cool. You can just like generate as many as you want. So I have like models now that can generate like snares or whatever. And I can just say like generate 50,000 of them and just go to bed while it does it. Wait, is this Sim Simplant? No, no, no. It's called no. Dance Diffusion. Simplant yeah. is also cool though. Okay, is that that uses AI as well? Like so yeah, it does, but it does it in a different way. It uses AI, I believe, to figure out how a sound was made or a patch was made, which is actually really cool. You can say like get a hi hat and drag it in there, and it will like make a patch that sounds like that hi hat, which is kind okay. of sick. Because like let's say you have um, a kick drum that you really like, but you have it at a three twenty kbps MP three. You could throw that MP3 kick drum into Simplant and have it like generate you the patch that pretty much sounds like that kick drum, but then render it out at 32 bits. So in a way, that's like a form of AI upsampling, which is another thing I'm really excited about. Like for instance, yeah. if you just trained a model on like side information or just mono information, and then you give it a file that's either too wide or too mono or just mono or just sides, you could be like, all right, now generate me like the side information or just generate me the mono information. Oh, and wow. Instead of it being like, you know, a mono signal that you like widen by like offsetting delays or something like that, like it can literally generate the side information. What the fuck? Yeah, like AI upsampling is honestly probably the thing I'm most excited about because I have so many old tunes that I think are like kind of cool but the production is just trash because I wrote them a long time ago and I'm really right. interested to put them into AI and have a model that's trained on stuff that sounds really good and have it recreate that tune, but really well. What the hell? Yeah, I'm sure you could teach me so much about AI and all of that. And I, I want to dive into it. The first one was hearing about Synplant, but what was the other one was Dance? Called Dance Diffusion. Dance Diffusion, okay. Yeah, gonna... by a company called Harmon AI. Okay, I'm going to write this down. <clears throat> yeah, there's this dude, Zach. Um, Zach something, I can't remember his last name, but he um, <clears throat> he basically made a, um, a fork of Stable Diffusion and basically added a synthesizer to the end of it. So what it does is when you, when you train it on stuff and when it generates a sound, it's not actually generating the sound from nothing. It's generating it from an image. So... And then it just uses image to audio synthesis. So like, for instance, you get like a Mel spectrogram 
of like a break or a kick drum or whatever. And in the background, it's just producing those and trying to create spectrograms that look kind of like the kick drums or the snare drums or whatever that you've trained it on. And then from that spectrogram, which is just like a 512 by 512 pixel image, it just does image to audio synthesis at the end to convert it into audio. So it's actually just stable diffusion, but with an image to audio synthesizer attached to the end of it. What the hell? Can you watch like videos of this on YouTube? Like, like that break it down to that level? (laughs) Um, There's not a lot, but yeah, there definitely is some. um, I actually learned most of what I knew from this from Incanti earlier this year, because he wanted to run an AI class. um, And then he invited me to like run it with him. Cool. Um, So I learned most of it from him. Uh, But I'm sure there's videos online of it. And if you, do you use a Mac or a PC? A Mac. Okay, so then you would have to run it through this thing called Google Collab, which is basically where Google gives you the option to use their like compute power. So like NVIDIA cards that run CUDA because that's what all the Python libraries that all this AI shit relies on use. And Macs don't do a very good job of that, but you can use Google Collab and execute all of the Python in like cells. Um, I can send you a link to it. It's pretty easy. You just go through and like run all the cells to run all the Python in your browser and then you can do all the training and the generation in there, but it's uh, a little slower than doing it locally. Yeah. Do you have a PC? Do you use a PC? Yeah, I do. You do? Uh, Well, I use both. I I use a Mac when I travel and I use a PC in the studio. And my, my theory is like in the studio, I want modularity and customizability. And on the road, I want stability. And I feel like on the road, I just need my shit to work. But in the studio, I need it to work and I need to be able to change it. And I just don't like how MacBooks these days are literally just like a unit and you can't do anything with it. Neither Apple can't even do anything with it. It's like I I yeah. bought my Mac and I got a two terabyte one and I was like, actually, I want eight terabytes. Like two is just not enough. So I hit them up and I was like, hey, can I just like trade out this hard drive for a bigger one? And they're like, well, you'd have to send us your computer and then we would send you a new computer. And I was like, wait, you can't just like open it and put a bigger hard drive in it. And they're like, no, no, no. They're like separate anymore, machines. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's fucking so dumb. Makes no sense. My, like my last like 2012 Mac. I think that was like the last year where you could actually physically open it up and put more terabytes in and more space because it, right. it was, replaced the CD drive and put in like more power or whatever. But do you have um, an M1 Mac now? I do. Yeah, I just bought yeah. an M2 because I'm trying to finally separate my production computer from my live computer right now oh that's smart they're kind of all in one <laughs> and i yeah. want I, I, I want i mean i i could i could clone this and ha- put it on there and just like have two of the same thing but right uh yeah i want to be able to make music on the road as well i just don't want it to be as large as the computer that stays home you know <clears throat> yeah that makes sense so wait the live computer is just the one you'll travel with, and then the other one will just be the one that's in your studio? Yeah. Doesn't that to defeat the purpose of a laptop so you can take it everywhere? I know, but, like, I, I'm going to put all the same synths and everything that I use, like, my go-to stuff onto the new laptop so I can at least, like, produce and do that. But it's I don't want it to have literally everything because I keep cloning computers and putting them on the new one, mm. and then there's a bunch of bullshit that keeps coming with me you know yeah, you just I mean? want to keep it like fresh and minimal yeah so I, I, i've been doing that with my last two laptops and so i'm take all my super important sample folders and synthesizers and you know plugins but i don't want to continue to keep bringing all of the super old shit with me when i get new laptops so it's kind of like an opportunity for me to downsize and get minimal and like what are the essential items that i need if i was somewhere else and wanted to make a song you know yeah stuck in a desert island in like bozeman yes what are are my bozeman plugins (laughs) totally (laughs) yeah i feel that i like trying to keep shit minimal and i always try to do that like i get a new computer i'm like sick fresh start just gonna install like some basic shit and then 
yeah. as I slowly try to do more things, I'm like, well, I actually need that, and I need that, and I need that, and it ends up just bloating out and being a huge mess. Yeah, but. I'm still in that process right now, and I actually have like my go-to computer guy that's helping me like organize things and like bring it over to my new laptop in a way that makes sense. Who's your go-to computer guy? Um, Dave Whalen. He works okay. at oh, Tech Hub. I know him. I did a um, I did a Twitch stream once at at his Tech Hub place. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's cool. Yeah, he always like. I'm just like this is too big of a project for me to wrap my head around. Like, to help me like get organized. And he's like, okay, let's make a list of plugins. Do you have you know extra? authorizations on these or do we need to like rebuy them or like which ones are cracked <laughs> you know <laughs> but mostly i don't have a lot of crack plugins anymore which was the main problem when i was getting yeah it. i feel like once you're making a living from music it's like bad karma to crack plugins 100 percent, yeah so i'm trying to trying to be good and have a little bit more of a cash flow than i used to when literally every plugin i had was cracked <laughs> Because I was broke and oh. trying to figure out if I wanted to make music. Right. But yeah. So what do you what do you got coming up? What's the what's the next thing? Um, this weekend I'm in Vegas with LS Dream and oh, he's awesome. Area 15. Yeah, I'm excited for wait, that. Wait, I'm playing there soon. In right. oh, wait. you just announced it today. I saw that. No, are you, are you there on Halloween? No, it's it's this. I think third. I, I think I literally play there like a, the day after you. Oh, okay, the twenty sixth. Oh shit, I play yeah. there on the twenty eighth. I just saw you put that up right before I got yeah. on here. <laughs> Which yeah, is yeah, awesome. that's awesome. Yeah, let me know how it goes. I'll I'll be there. Like, will you still be there on the twenty eighth, or are you gonna be somewhere else? No, I go from Vegas to Columbia Falls, Columbia Falls, Montana. Oh, and then I you play Bozeman. Bozeman's sick. Yeah, Bozeman's Actually, awesome. Bozeman, is, I played it for the first time this year. And apart from Seattle, the, Bozeman has been my favorite show this year, actually. Dude, I, the last time I played in Bozeman was with Opio. And I forget what venue we did at. But it was like my favorite stop of that tour. I was just like, Jesus Christ, like these kids. Yeah, people go hard there. It's crazy. Yeah. So hopefully Halloween will be popping, you know? Yeah, I bet. <laughs> There's not a ton of things happening at the same time in Bozeman, so I'm hoping my show is it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also Halloween. I think everyone just goes out, so every event is pretty much packed on Halloween. Yeah. Um, so are you, are you doing, I, like, multiple shows right now with LS Stream or just that one? Just the one, yeah. He, I was, I'm not on his tour, but that was kind of like a departure from the regular support because they're doing, like, two rooms. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I actually haven't done a show with him before, so that'll be cool. Um, yeah, his sets are awesome. He's, yeah. he's a really good, really good DJ. Yeah, I'm, I wanted to be here for the Red Rocks show, but of course, my my weekends are not spent in Colorado, so uh, mm. I usually miss all the shows that I want to go see. Um, Whereabouts in Colorado do you live? Um, I actually just bought a house in Arvada. Like, oh, congrats! Few years ago so uh, yeah i'm like finally have like a studio space and comfortable you know don't have to come home to like roommates or madness like i did for yeah. years which is <laughs> so necessary for my mental health so yeah, yeah. totally super proud yeah, I, of that i bought a house last year as well but i bought it in atlanta i did look in denver because i actually lived in denver for a long time i was in i was gonna like, ask you you're not out here anymore no i, I bought a house in atlanta last year sick. which was mainly just because houses here are cheap like you can get a really sick house out here for like 400 grand whereas that in denver i feel like i was look when i was looking at least I, I couldn't really find anything around that price range that looked really good sure, yeah i had enough um, space but Denver's sick. I lived in uh, like Denver for a while and then Westminster for a while and then Lafayette for a while and actually really liked Lafayette a lot. Yeah, I'm like on the border of Westminster and Arvada, I guess, so might have been a similar area as you. But yeah, I mean, it takes 15 mm. minutes to get downtown. Like because of how much I tour, I want to come home and be home. I'm not like I don't need right. to be in the city or 
deal How with. far from the airport are you? Like 30, 30 minutes. Yeah, I feel like everyone's 30 minutes from the airport in Denver. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's it's far. I mean, it's better than me. I, it takes me like about an hour to get to the airport from where I am, which kind of sucks. Really? Did you grow Half up? Because I'm like in, no, I grew up in Australia. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, I knew that. Yeah, yeah. I moved but to yeah. the US in 2015. But, and you moved um, yeah. directly to Denver? Yeah, I moved to Denver originally and then in 2020 um, moved to San Francisco, spent the pandemic there and then spent like six months in Charlottesville and now I'm here. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah, kind of a bunch of random locations lately, yeah. but I'm happy where I am now. Yeah, Atlanta's awesome. <laughs> I always love going there. You got yeah, do you have any stops here or have you had any stops here? Um, Looking at I, your dates now, it doesn't look like it. No, I don't have any on for the rest of the year. I was out there with... Um, Manic Focus. I think that was in the spring. So oh, cool. Where did you play? Believe. Musical. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Was, that used yeah. to be Iris, right? I think. It's, yeah, it used to be something else. Um, but that nice. was cool because I usually either play Isle 5 or Terminal West. But that was the first time I kind of did something different. And yeah, it was a cool spot. Yeah. Terminal West is sick as well. I really like that spot. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. Yeah, should, well, um, sorry, what's up? I was going to say you should uh, link up with Rhett, Daily Bread. He's in Atlanta. Oh, is he here? Yeah. Cool. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, maybe yeah. link us or something. Yeah, he grew up in Atlanta and has been there for a while. Hell yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm going to get back to mastering my album. Oh, shit. Um, which I've been spending the last few months on. <laughs> Damn. I would love to to hear it when you have a, a listenable version. Yeah, I'll send it for sure. Yeah. Um, but where should people go to check you out? What's the best spot? Um, Instagram, it's Maddie O'Neill, M-A-D-D-Y-O-N-E-A-L. Um, and then I usually try to actually respond to as many messages as I can on that platform. So that's like the one that I'm more easily accessible you're trying to get in touch um but yeah website facebook go check out all the music on spotify soundcloud wherever you listen to music um yeah i got some a couple two more songs coming out till the end of the year and then i'm kind of gonna do a bunch of singles and remixes at the beginning of next year that i'm in the process of finishing so I'm excited about that. Sick. Well, yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah. All right, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yo, what's up? Thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. This show is produced and edited by Robert Fumo. You can get early access to the show by going to my website, mrbillstunes.com and paying me instead of Patreon. And remember to go rate and review on iTunes or I'm going to come to your house and punch your dog in the throat, upper deck your toilet and fuck your partner. Note, I may or may not do those last couple of things. Uh, you should probably just go rate it on iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to the podcast on because it really helps the podcast. Um, but but just know that that it'll go a long fucking way to me not doing those things if you do go do that so uh just just putting that out there